that was a hot mess. So I ended up in $10,000 in credit card debt, had to rebuild myself up again after that. Um, and so that's why I always share about the grace because I don't think you're immune to, you're not immune to like financial hardship. You're not immune to just life's happenings. Like those things are, I'm, I'm not trying to speak that, but it just, it happens, right? Things happen. Welcome to Real Stories, Journeys of Financial Wellness. I'm your host, Crystal Lugazima. Today's guest is someone who has led a fascinating financial journey and not only learned so much for herself, but has had such a profound impact on her friends and the adults and children she has served. Jasmine Paul is an award-winning children's book author, certified financial education instructor, and speaker focused on making wealth fun. Her first book, A Boy, A Budget, and a Dream, was named one of Parents.com Top 10 Best Books to Teach Kids About Money. You can learn more about her at TheWealthPlayground.com. She is a storyteller at heart, and through her personal stories, has so much financial wisdom to share. Let's meet Jasmine Paul. Jasmine, welcome to Real Stories. So glad you could join us here today. And as I love to start with all of our guests, before we get into your story, I'm curious about your journey growing up and specifically what you might have learned about money. Absolutely. So thanks so much, Chris, for having me. I do appreciate the opportunity. Oh, man, my journey around money probably started when I was... um, in elementary school, I was living in Japan. Both of my parents are in the military, were in the military, retired military members. And um, I recall my dad having a jar of coins that he would keep just like a change jar in the dining room. And, and I remember um, I would go to the local, it's called a shop at, but like a local store on base to get candy or, or whatever, snacks. And then I would go off base well, off base in Japan, you have to use Japanese yen. On base, you use U.S. dollars. And in the change jar, it was like a mixture of Japanese yen and U.S. dollars. And so I just grabbed a handful one day. And I believe I was going off base. And I like was going to a 7-Eleven, had my handful of coins. And so I put the coins on the, the counter. And the store clerk was like, this is not going to work. This these are quarters. I need Japanese yen. And that was like my first interaction with money. Like, oh, wait, so there's certain currency and foreign currency might not work in in certain places. U.S. currency might not work in certain places. And so I learned in that moment, one, I think my dad was like, you don't take money that's not yours. So you didn't put the money there. So don't take it. And then two, like, you really have to understand coin identification. if you're living in a foreign country. So intentionality is what I'm hearing from this, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, And and I I know from hearing about your story previously that I think it was when you were in college that you had some some really tough financial struggle. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit more about that. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So I went uh, to school about eight year, eight hours, sorry, from where I uh, grew up. And um, I had a scholarship, but it didn't, the scholarship didn't cover all of my expenses. Um, so it didn't cover housing. And my senior year of college, even though I had worked different odd jobs, for some reason, I did not understand how utilities and rent and all the different bills, I, I personally did not understand how they all added up. And they added up for more than I had. So I was spending more than I was making at the time. Um, so I ended up living in my car and on friends' couches uh, my senior year for about two months because honestly, I didn't manage my money well. I didn't manage my money well and I didn't ask my parents for help and I should have. I asked my friends for help, you know, with the couches and for to help me like with groceries and different things like that. But I think in that moment, I was trying to figure it out and I felt like I got myself in this situation. There's a way out of this. Um, I should have just asked my parents for help. They look back and they're like, why didn't you say something? But I just, I felt like I was in that situation and I knew how to get out of it somehow. And thankfully I was able to, um, someone had affordable housing for young college students. Um, and so I was able to have rent for, I think the rent was like $200 a month, which was incredible um, for me at the time. But yes, it was due to poor money management. I was making money from the scholarship and then other jobs, um, just other side hustles. I had my own business, but I wasn't managing it well, spending quite a bit. Um, I wasn't saving. And so, yeah, definitely ended up in a sticky situation. Yeah. Yeah. D did it take a while before you did bring up that story to your family or? Oh my goodness. Yes. It took like years. I think there was a level of shame definitely for me just shame of like how did i even get myself in this situation um but also i think that i just didn't want to disappoint them you know i didn't want to disappoint uh, my family but they're super proud they're like west indian people caribbean people are very like just proud about who they are and where they come from and so I felt like I was kind of like a disappointment, even though I had all these incredible things going for me, I felt like it was slightly disappointing. And I think it was, it was disappointing from like, you, why didn't you ask for help? You know, it's, it's not that you, you know, you got yourself in this situation, of course, like people struggle with finances, but you didn't have to do this by yourself. Yeah. And I, and I think it's, it's such an important story because, you know, I'm thinking of our listeners who may not have experienced the same specifics that you did, but that feeling of just, you know, being in a spot of having some mixture of pride and shame and not wanting to ask for help, I know is a common thing that we all we all go through. Um, and so I know that, you know, you, you finished college and you eventually enrolled in the Air Force. And I'm wondering, how did that experience help to shape things when it came to your relationship with money? Oh, absolutely. Um... The military was awesome and I'm so grateful for my service. I'm so grateful for my parents' service and everyone who has served um, in the United States military. Thank you for your service. Um, but I think for me that summer before I went on to active duty, I went to the library and I researched as much as I could about professional development. So I had 
um, books by like corporate leaders, uh, corporate women who were in the workplace. So I was trying to figure out, okay, the professional side of Jasmine, how do I show up in the work center? Um, how do I best position myself for promotions and, and different opportunities like that? Uh, but also financial empowerment. I was reading every book I could find about budgeting, saving, investing, because I made a promise to myself once I graduated that I would learn about money and then I would take care of it as something I didn't do in college. And so um, once I learned as much as I could, I was in, I was on active duty. I remember my um, first duty station was in California. I had two roommates and I saved like 60% of my income every paycheck. I wasn't making a lot of money, but my goal was, okay, I have to get my emergency savings up. So one step was, okay, I have to get these roommates. I have to find a, a place that was affordable to live. Um, the roommates would help my living expenses reduce significantly. Um, and then I was going to put away as much money as I could. And then when I went to my next duty station, was, which was about seven months later, I found other people who were talking about real estate. They were talking about investments. And I was like, oh, this is great. People are actually having conversations. Like my friends, when we were in college and had just started out, we weren't talking about investments. We were talking about going out because we have a paycheck, you know, for the first time. Um, we have steady income for the first time. And being around people who had different perspectives, they had different upbringings, was so incredibly powerful for me. I was a sponge, just wanting to know more. And one of my goals when I graduated college was to buy my first property because I had seen someone do it in college. Um, I saw someone who rented out all of his bedrooms to his fraternity brothers. He lived across the street from the, uh, from the college that I went to. And I thought that was so incredible. If I could, I was like, I could do that. I could potentially rent out some bedrooms. Um, there was no YouTube or TikTok or there was no like medium that taught you things, right? It was kind of like you talk to people and then you maybe read a blog about it and then you would try it yourself. And so um, for me, being in the military, being around so many different perspectives uh, was helpful for me uh, to buy my first property actually at the age of 23. Was there anything about the training that you received itself that even if it wasn't directly financially related mm -hmm. that um, led to some growth in that area for you? I, I definitely think so. Um, so I started out in the military as a um, nuclear missile combat crew deputy commander. Um, so basically what that means is I was a crew member, a part of a nuclear missile operation. And part of that operation is just, you have to have a lot of attention to detail and you also have to, you rely on checklists. And so for me, having this structure of checklists, it really helped me with setting my goals, but also having steps towards those goals. It wasn't like, oh, I want to save $10,000. It was like, okay, step one is the goal of $10,000. Step two is, okay, I have to figure out how to reduce my expenses somehow. Step three, I have to increase my income. Step four, step five, step six, and so on and so on until I reach the goal. Um, so I definitely think the training aspect of being super structured and super attention uh, detailed oriented was really helpful. Also, of course, the benefits were helpful. So I was able to use the VA loan to buy my first property. Um, and I didn't have to put any money down. Um, I 
ended up like I think I even walked away with like fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars after closing. Um, and so definitely the benefits. But yeah, having that structure and then also just being around so many different people um, that can share insights with me was helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And and so you you alluded to one of the major milestones that you had is uh, utilizing the VA loan to get, I assume, your first home, right? At, yeah. at that point. What were some other financial accomplishments that you achieved in the days and I should say in the months and, and short time after you really dove into the material red books and, and went through the, the Air Force? Yeah. Um, so buying my first property at 23, I think about nine or 10 months later, I paid off $40,000 in student loan debt. Um, I think the next year I saved about $20,000 in my emergency savings. It w- it felt like every year it was just more and more opportunity. And I think what was helpful was I really kind of cut out a lot of distractions. So I told my friends, I was like, I love y'all, but we're going to have to do some potlucks. We are going, I can't go out. I can't, you know, travel. I'm really focused on my goals of um, really trying to empower myself financially. And so, yeah, I I think during that time I, I was doing a little bit of everything. I was actually blogging for um, a pretty well-known personal finance expert now, uh, but I was blogging and sharing my story and I pitched her an idea to uh, share my debt-free journey and to share kind of the strategies I was working with. I wasn't out of debt at the moment, um, but she really liked it. And I started sharing my stories and my blogs on her website and then she would pay me. And then though that money I was using towards any debt that I had, um, I was like, going on, um, I would find <laughs> roommates on Craigslist, which I would not recommend now. I I don't think that's a thing anymore, but back then it was like Craigslist was, yeah, it was, a, it was an avenue to find things, to find people. Um, and so I found my roommates. I had a traveling nurse who was a roommate of mine. And then I also had um, someone who was also in the military, who was a, a roommate of mine. And um, I was able to provide um, affordable, affordable, safe place to live, and then they were able to pay me um, rent, and that was able to increase my income as well. That's really cool. And and you. you mentioned like you were able to um, use some of what you've learned to not only share with others, but also to make more money in, in this case uh, by by blogging. And I understand that you also started a like a side business helping friends coaching them can you tell me like how that started how it evolved yes so i remember one year we were every year we would plan our goals um we would plan out what we wanted to achieve physically mentally spiritually emotionally um and one of those goals was financial uh financially what we were gonna do next year and so my goal at the time was save $20,000. I'll never forget, it was a group of us, we were in my friend's basement and they all looked at me like, how? <laughs> what are you talking about? Save $20,000? How are you doing? We're not making a lot of money. In the military, um, there is uh, pay transparency. So you you know how much everyone makes based off their years of experience. There is no 
yeah, everyone makes the same amount of money if they have the same amount of years in. So there is no difference in pay. And all of my friends at the time were all in the military and we all were around the same um, years of experience. And so I said, oh, well, I'm just going to take 20,000 and the way that I'm going to get to that goal is I'm going to divide, I'm going to, you know, divide 20,000 in 12 months and then I'm going to save each month that number. And then at the end of those 12 months, I'll have 20K. And then I, I said I was going to, you know, reduce my incomes or reduce my spending significantly. Um, I had a roommate um, and then I found other ways like the blogs and, and different uh, things to increase my income to put towards the savings. And they were all in shock. They were like, okay, how do you do this? What, where do we start? And so we started, I think one of my friends was really interested and she wanted to get out of debt. And she thought that student loans was something that you just had as an adult. Like she'd seen her friends do it and other people do it. And so she just thought that you just have student loans for the rest of your life. And I, we did kind of like the reverse engineering. She had a certain amount of student loans. And so we looked at how much she could afford in payment um, each month. We kind of looked at like, what are her other liabilities? What are some other things going on? Um, and she ended up being a substitute teacher. Like she was uh, working full time. And then anytime she had free time, she would go and teach and do substitute teaching. She was finding any way to uh, reduce the loans and was able to become debt free, I think in like two and a half years or so. Um, and then she started referring me to her friends and other people. And then I just started having conversations. And then I think at like person number 20 who was receiving this kind of coaching, uh, my friend was like, have you ever thought about creating a business? Because you're doing all this for free. And I was like, well, I really love it. I mean, people are getting out of debt. Like it's transforming their lives. Like that's so much freedom. Like how cool is that just to be able to share this gift of, you know, my story and then how some of the strategies that I've used and then other people are able to use it. And it's also working for them. And she was like, but I really feel like you should start a business. And then that's kind of where the idea of a business uh, grew. I love it. I lo- not like person four, not person seven, like person 20. Wow. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get back to that business and your financial career in a second. But yeah. one of the questions I had, and I know that that would come up in your coaching business, is there would be certain things that you were well equipped to support them on. And there are other things that there are sort of outside referrals that made sense. And I know that one of those referrals that you started to make was GreenPath. So how did you first discover GreenPath and kind of walk me through that a little bit? Yeah, one of my really good friends um, had used GreenPath in the past. Um, I believe they were working on budgeting and um, we were talking about financial kind of empowerment programs. And this was when I was first starting out and they had mentioned GreenPath. They're like, you should check it out. It worked for us. It was really great. Um, and so I was like, oh, this is really cool. I was like, this is this is free. Like, this is amazing. It's a nonprofit that is really focused on helping um, people in the, in those like shaky places and, and when you are kind of pushed up against the wall. And I've seen it help other people. I had referred it in the past. And so I always try, if, if it's something that I can't 
support or maybe it's uh, out of my just expertise that I always try to give people other resources because if I can't answer it, I'm sure there's someone else who knows the answer. Um, and so that's why I shared about Green Path. So I haven't personally used it myself, but I have referred several people um, to Green Path and they've, they've shared positive experiences. And that's actually how we got connected because one of my colleagues, I think, was just uh, perusing different mentions of Green Path. And I think you were quoted in an article where you mentioned us and then she connected with you and here I am talking yeah. with you. So that's kind of cool. That yeah. comes full circle. Um, Absolutely. So I know as things evolved, uh, eventually your program, Coaching Adults, evolved into a program for for kids and for yeah. different resources in that area. Could you tell me about yeah. how we got from point A to point B there? Yeah. So I was working, um, so from the time of having that conversation in the basement with my friends to talking to different families and doing workshops with adults, I found in like 2019 to 2020, I was like, I feel like I need to pivot. I feel like there were so many other programs that were really focused on adults. Um, and I felt like when I was growing up, I did have financial empowerment. Like my parents did talk to me about money. Um, I had a Visa Bucks card. It doesn't exist anymore, but it was a prepaid um, teen card that you can use and parents can upload an allowance or any type of uh, monetary compensation. And I remember those moments. I remember my grandmother taking me to the credit union and her writing checks. Like, I remember that. Um, and I was like, man, there has to be a different way. Like, like those are super memorable moments. But for some reason, it, it didn't translate for me when I was in college. Um, and so I'm like, is there a way that I can create a program that helps kids and families understand about financial education, have healthy money conversations. Um, when I was talking to you, as I was like beta testing my program, I found so many adults were like, I wish I learned this as a kid. I wish I had a conversation about money. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's problem solve here. If adults are struggling with finances and they're saying, I never got this as a kid, um, why don't we just give it to kids? And I feel like the pandemic really shifted that like it solidified, okay, this is where I need to be because I started having more and more conversations with my little sister. She's 12 years younger than me. She was in high school at the time. And she was asking me about high yield savings accounts and investments. And I'm like, where are you getting this information from? Like we never, like I tried to talk about it, but I was like, where are you getting this information from? She was getting it from social media. And I was like, okay, so there is a space for this. Um, there are kids who are really hungry for this information. And I do believe like there are parents and families who are, who want to share, but maybe they experience their own financial struggles and maybe they're afraid of sharing, you know, maybe they're like, I don't know what to say. And so I try to be the conduit uh, to help facilitate those conversations around money. So what, is, what does that look like? Like I know in looking at your website that you've uh, developed some books that are actually available in multiple languages uh, yeah. and, and I'm sure some other projects. So like, what does the day-to-day -day of that uh, look like? Absolutely. So, so I have the children's book series, the Wealth Playground series, as well as I do in-person and virtual money activations. So these are money experiences 
sort of like field trips. Think of like the magic school bus, but for money, um, where I share about experiences, I share about resources, and then I deliver fun and engaging workshops and activities for kids. And so this can be at a school, this can be at a youth organization, an after school care program, wherever there's an organization that is focused on empowering and developing children and their families, um, that's where I would come in. That's awesome. That's awesome. And are these both in person and virtual or? They are. Yes. Yeah. Really cool. Um, Thank you. So within that space, like what are, what are some of your favorite tips? We'll start with like, what are some of your favorite tips for the, for the children that you're uh, giving these programs for? Yes. Oh, so I love sharing about the concept of asking for help. I feel like so often we are isolating ourselves when we go through any type of issue. It could be asking for kids specifically, asking help for um, a lesson that they're working on, or it could be asking help in a sport that they're playing. But I always talk about asking for help and how collaboration is so key when it comes to money. And they'll go, why? Why is that? Why is collaboration important? I was like, well, there's so many steps to building wealth, right? You uh, first apply for a job and the job, that is one avenue of collaboration. Your paycheck is another avenue because you worked at this job. And then you have to have some type of uh, department or store of store of this money and that department would be the bank or an account that you put the money in that's another piece of collaboration and then if you want to pay yourself that's you know you're contributing so you have to pay yourself and then you pay others you have utilities you have um you know rent you have your car all those different areas those are different players um, on your team when it comes to financial literacy and so i always talk about asking for help um, making sure that they get help when they need it, and then the importance of collaboration. And then we talk about goal setting and dreaming big. I'm telling you, these kids are like next level. I was thinking of like very simple things, I feel like, when I was a kid, but they're thinking about like being a millionaire and they want to go and travel the world. I think because of exposure and access to the internet, they're able to see so many different things and they want, and, and I think that's incredible that they're, they have the ability to see like I can do so much more outside of kind of my neighborhood. And I think that's incredible. So we'll go through goal setting. How do we dream up of these things? And then also how do we obtain them if we desire it? Um, I did a dream big workshop a few uh, years ago at a museum where the kids would cut up um, some of their favorite things that they like to do or maybe want to do. And they put it on a vision board and then they, uh, decided to have a conversation with their families about what is our family vision and what do we desire in the future and then how do we plan to work um, to get to those goals. Um, but I definitely think goal setting, collaboration, asking for help, those are the big players. Before we even go into what is a budget, what is saving, what is investing, um, I really talk about those three uh, principles because I think it's important not only in money but in every area of our life. I was just about to say that, right? It's just, it's a good professional and life skill to have even separate. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm sure you talk to a lot of adults. Uh, well, I know you talk to a lot of adults, but a lot of adults that might lean on you for advice around conversations they might have with their own Trojan. Like, so what advice would you have 
for a parent or just any any adult that has a child in their life that they're trying to influence for the better? Yes, I think breaking the silence, being comfortable with uncomfortable conversations around money. I think breaking the silence is number one. Kids can learn about money as early as the age of five uh, per psychologist, and they have their habits, their money financial habits set by the age of 13. And so in that time frame, I've found that parents have been like, well, I'm not sure, maybe they're too young. And of course, you know your child, you know um, the child that you love, that you're you're caring for. Um, but if they are asking for things, if in they are going to to a store and they're saying, hey, I want this or, you know, I want to go to Disney World or I want to go to Disneyland. They're aware of wants versus needs. And so I think that's a really great way to usher in the conversation of, well, let's talk about what we actually need and what we're going to put our money towards this year. Um, you don't have to get too in detail, uh, depending on what you desire. But I do think being proactive of here's the family budget. Here's what we're planning on spending. And maybe this is why we can't do the things that you want to do um, in this year. But maybe we can plan for it in the next few years. Um, we're, you know, we're paying for X and here's why we're paying for X. And then I'm using this money uh, to pay for X because I want to see you grow. I want to see you develop or I want you to be able to do all the things that you desire to do. And so I think definitely number one is breaking the silence. And then also just incorporating wants versus needs. And then sharing money mistakes. Those That's huge. Kids, adults, I feel like everyone learns from other people's mistakes. But there has to be, uh, that mistake has to be shared some way. And even if it's like embarrassing and maybe you, you feel bad about that mistake, I do think there's so much power in sharing those mistakes um, and sharing maybe something you would do differently than offering what they might do differently. If they were in that situation, what would they do differently? Of course, this will depend on how old that child is, um, but it, it's never too early to share a, a money mistake so that they can avoid making that same mistake in the future. Yeah, as, as sort of like a growth opportunity versus I'm sure it's a fine line between that and just like giving unnecessary anxiety. To kids especially right. as you're going through it in the moment right? absolutely 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 you have to be aware of who they are as people and and what they can handle and that's again going to be up to your parenting style um but i have noticed kids are very very smart <laughs> they're aware of what's going on in the household even if you don't say something, they might not have all of the insight and, and all of the facts of what's going on, but they can understand what's going on. Um, they, they can feel when something's off or when something's different. Um, and so I think just, again, not telling anyone how to parent or how they should deliver um, advice or wisdom to their children, but I think definitely asking questions and, and providing some insight to um, the money matters, I think is important. Love it. Love it. So as we transition to some of the tips you have for adults in their day-to-day -day life, um, before I ask for your favorite tips, I actually want to spotlight a story that you wrote about on your blog. And so my question to you is, uh, what did you learn about money on your trip to Casper, Wyoming? <laughs> oh, the money that was ghosted. 
I learned I learned about having an emergency savings. I definitely learned. So should I should I tell the story, Chris? Yeah, yeah. Our about... listeners have no idea what I'm talking about. So please. <laughs> okay. All right. So um I was living in the Northwest at the time and in Montana, and I was visiting one of my really good friends in Casper. Well, she didn't live in Casper, Wyoming. She lived in Cheyenne, Wyoming. And so um, my sister and I were on this road trip. It's about an eight-hour drive. Um, and that's, like, very normal in when you live in the Northwest. Like, eight hours is, like, nothing. That's like, oh, you just go on an eight-hour road trip. And I've done this road trip before in my car. Never had any problems. And so we were on the road just outside of Casper. And my car went from, like, 80 miles or 75 miles per hour to zero. Like on the highway. I was like, what is happening? Maybe it was my oil. I didn't know what was going on, but I never experienced that before. So I end up, we end up going to a gas station. I put all this oil in my car because I'm like, maybe it's the oil. Maybe because I didn't get an oil change recently or something. So then I go from the gas station. I start driving again and we're good. And then like about five or 10 miles outside of Casper, my car does the same exact thing on the side of the road. And that point I'm like, oh my goodness, my, I'm, I don't have service. My sister doesn't have service. <laughs> and I'm like, what are we doing? We're in the middle of Wyoming. Like there is literally like going to do. And my friend, she wasn't in Wyoming at the time, she was actually driving in from the East Coast. So she wasn't, she was like coming the opposite direction. So I'm like, oh my goodness. So thankfully there was a super kind person who um, met us at the side of the road. And I was a little nervous because I'm like, oh goodness, like it's in the middle of nowhere. Like if you ever been to Wyoming, there's like just fields and fields of land. They just so much land. There's like no, there's nobody. And so in the area that we were in, there was just no one there. And then so this really nice, kind person, he ends up going, um, stopping and asking us what's wrong. He ends up going underneath the car and there's like rocks and rubble and he's like getting all dirty, um, checking underneath uh, my car to figure out if there's anything. He was like, well, I don't know what's going on. And I think he ended up helping us with a tow truck. I think he ended up calling someone with a tow truck and then he followed us to the honda dealership and honda did their thing and it cost a significant amount of money which i was so grateful that i had an emergency savings um so they did whatever they needed to do no they quoted me whatever they needed to do but they said that we we're gonna have to stay the night and so i'm like i did not plan to stay in casper wyoming all the hotels were booked um because there was like an, a convention or something we end up so, going. So I love to... this. Just to pause for a second. There's no one for miles and miles, but then when you needed a place to stay, that's where everyone is. Okay. Just... Exactly. Right. It was so strange. I mean, we went from like I was going to like all these like last minute hotel sites to find a hotel, and they were all booked. And I was like, "What is happening?" Honda closes at a certain time, so we have to figure out where we're gonna stay. I go to Airbnb and this was like when Airbnb was like just starting out. This wasn't what it is today. And the only places that were available in my budget was like a shared family experience. So you're sharing a house with someone who's still there. And I'm like, okay, 
well, we're just going to have to trust. <laughs> like, we're going to just have to trust that this is safe. And because I'm with my sister who's like 13 or 14. I'm like, I think it's going to be okay. I talked with the host. Um, at that moment, at that time, I had service. So I called my mom, tell her what was going on. I shared her, you know, our location. And they were so kind. These people were so kind to us. They gave us dinner. Um, the next day, he drove me and my sister to the Honda dealership. And it, w- it was awesome. We had breakfast with them. They're great, great people. I have to find them and thank them because I'm very grateful for them and their hospitality. But so in that, in that like trip where I thought I was going to see my friend, um, I ended up spending a bunch of money on my car repair. And then I had to do an Airbnb for one night. And then once I went and picked up my car, they said, everything was great. It's all good. We go to Cheyenne. We have a great time. And then on the way back, literally five miles outside of Casper, the same issue happens. And I'm like, what is with Casper, Wyoming? Like, I've never even heard of this city before. And I've had so many encounters with this city in the last, like, 72 hours. So the same thing happens. And then at that point, I didn't have time because I had to go back home to go to work. And um, so I end up leaving my car in Casper, Wyoming, getting a rental car that I have to drive now eight hours away. And then, um, so I'm paying for another service (laughs) with Honda, a rental car for a week. And it's my time too. So I drive eight hours back home and then I have to return the car again to Casper to then pick up my vehicle. So I spent so much money in those, like in that week, week and a half. Um, and I was so grateful that I had an emergency savings. Like, as much as it hurt to pay that money, I think it probably would have hurt if I didn't have that money or I had to put it on a credit card or something. Um, so I was really, really grateful that I had enough. And then honestly, it made it started the wheel started turning. Like, I really need to think about buying a new vehicle because I can't shell out all this money, you know, for maintenance again. Yeah. Wow. wow. So. <laughs> We, we we throw the term emergency fund around. That is a true emergency in every bit of the word. Love it. Well, I don't love that that happened to you, but I love that you're able to share it uh, with, with everyone today. Um, what are some of your other financial tips that you like to share when it comes to uh, adults and uh, that you've picked up over the years? Yes. I think knowing what your numbers are are really important. I talk to so many different adults who are unaware of how much they owe in student loans or how much they how much their APR is for their credit cards. I think being aware of your numbers really, really important. Um, you can go to annualcreditreport.com and get your free credit report and figure out what your liabilities are, how much debt you have or don't have. Um, if there's any type of fraudulent, fraudulent or inquiries that you're unaware of, you can um, go and question it. But I do think knowing the numbers is really, really important um, as you move on to 2024. I think that that is like the number one thing, knowing your numbers and then also setting goals, setting clear financial goals, not just, um, oh, I want to pay down this, but like really 
setting the goal of, no, I want to eliminate this credit card debt and I don't want to go back into it. I want to eliminate the student loans and I don't want to have additional loans or the personal loans or whatever it is. Um, but setting the goal of in the next 18 months, I plan to establish X or in, in the next you know year, I want to have an emergency savings of three to six months of expenses. Um, but I think having those clear goals and then sticking with it is important. And then also giving yourself grace when you don't meet the goal. <laughs> Sometimes um, for me, when I move, I was moving every like two years to three years in the military. And so every time I moved, I had to implement a new budget because my expenses were different than the places that I lived in uh, previously. And so I would always be so hard on myself because I'm like, I know how to budget. I've clearly budgeted in the past. But I would be hard on myself because the water bill was higher than I expected or the grocery bill was higher than expected. And so I think really having grace for yourself, if you're listening to this podcast or you're reading books about financial literacy, um, just showing yourself grace that you're learning and you are taking the time to learn and empower yourself and that it's okay. Like we make mistakes and it's not the end of the world. I think if you you woke up this morning and you decided that you were going to invest in yourself and you were going to do something different, that is worth an applause. So having grace for yourself is important. Absolutely. And just look at the power of the grace you had for yourself. As you told your story, I was just kind of doing the timeline in my head. You said that your situation having to couch surf and live in the car was your senior year of college. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So am I right in saying it was like within two years or so you had bought your first house after that? Yeah. Like, look at that, right? Like, I know. It was yeah. wild. <laughs> I would have never imagined. Yeah. I'm sorry. Because it doesn't happen in one step, as you said. Like, it, it's, no. there's so much of the foundational stuff. And that started with all the hours and hours and hours you spent at the library and just deep in these books and having those conversations with others. Absolutely. And I wasn't free from, like, debt either. Like, so I was able to buy the property, right? And then I got out of student loan debt, paid that off. But then I went a little like, oh, I have all this free money. Let me go get these credit cards that I'm going to build points with. And I ended up landing in $10,000 in debt because I was just like, I don't have it. I don't have to pay, you know, student loans anymore. I All I have to do was like save and invest. And so I, I ended up getting this like Amex card because of the points that I'm like, oh, I can do all these points and I can get free flights. That was a hot mess. So I ended up in $10,000 in credit card debt, had to rebuild myself up again after that. Um, and so that's why I always share about the grace because I don't think you're immune to you're not immune to like financial hardship. You're not immune to just life's happenings. Like those things are, I'm, I'm not trying to speak that, but it just, it happens, right? Things happen. Um, and then also with me, even though I had all this financial success, I had a house, um, I was able to get myself out of student loan debt. I had saved an emergency savings of $20,000, but it's, I still was not immune to, uh, credit card debt. I got myself into $10,000 of credit card debt because I wanted to travel because I hadn't traveled for several years because I was really focused on my goals. Yeah. And what, what I think that really underscores is when people go on their journeys of financial improvement, it's not 
a clear arc. There's a lot of twists and turns. And that's what I try to relay in, in our stories here is like, obviously, we we want to have like a nicely, neatly wrapped story. But at the end of the day, not that's enough. not how life works. <laughs> not at all. And it's one of the reasons why I love to invite my guests back, um, just to show that like life does continue to happen after we talk to them. So, absolutely. And another thing, Chris, that I try to share with um, people, especially adults, is that what worked in this season might not work in this next season. So the the season of you graduating college um, might not work when you're entering in a, a mid level manager or senior VP job in your 30s, or it might not work when you have to care for a loved one that's ill, um, or when you have your first child, like there's so many different uh, personal uh, principles that while it might apply in one season, you might have to pivot and try something new. Like your budget that was on paper might not work in your 30s or your 40s or your 50s. Um, And I think just being okay with that transition and then also being okay that things will change. Absolutely. So, Jasmine, I can't thank you enough uh, for both sharing your story and your wisdom. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun, Chris. I appreciate you. I'm joined by my co-host, Shamika. Thank you, as always, for joining us today. And as we were listening to Jasmine's story, I got to tell you, like, normally when we do this, we say, all right, we have like three or four or five things we want to talk about. We have like 10 things we want to talk about, which speaks to what a great storyteller that Jasmine is and just how many nuggets of wisdom there are. And one of the reasons why we want to lift these all up is I don't know about you, Shamika, but I felt like I was so sucked into her story that it's sometimes easy to forget about like all the practical tips that were in there. And I I really want to be able to kind of reiterate those for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. She definitely gave us tons of uh, knowledge and uh, um, important topics that we can discuss. Yeah. So the first one uh, was right at the beginning of her story. She found herself in a very tight spot her senior year of college to the point where she was living in her car and couch surfing. And there was a lot of shame, a lot of disappointment uh, that she shared. But one of the things that struck me was it wasn't just the shame and disappointment while it was happening to her. Obviously, that was there. But even after the fact, what was your reaction to that? Yeah, I definitely found that to be a lot um, relatable when she was talking about that because she was mentioning that the shame that she was feeling caused her to not ask for help. And when it came to speaking to her family, um, she knew that that disappointment would not be with the financial situation that she found herself in, but with the fact that she didn't ask for help. And I thought that to be really relatable and definitely speaks to asking for help in any situation and how that is going to be a lot more helpful than being in these negative situations and trying to navigate them on your own. Yeah, yeah, there's so many lessons here that were, of course, in the context of money, but really relatable and applicable beyond that. Um, Along the same lines, after that experience, just sort of like this theme of like, this is never going to happen to me again, and how immediately 
she literally went to the library. This is the summer before she was enrolling in the Air Force and just became a sponge for every single possible topic that she could listen to. And I was wondering, uh, like that resilience that 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 came out of there. What was your your thoughts on that? I was definitely impressed by her resilience and her determination and her becoming a homeowner at 23. That just speaks to how goal-oriented she was and how she was determined to not be in the position that she was previously in ever again. Um, it, definitely a big jump from her being homeless at 21 to a whole, whole homeowner at 23. So definitely speaks to her resilience and her goal orientation. Absolutely, absolutely. And it wasn't just the book knowledge, although that was definitely the foundation of it, but it was her willingness to gather different perspectives. Um, she was in a unique situation um, in when she was starting the military that, you know, you're you're drawing people from all different walks of life from all over the country that have different perspectives, different ideas. And it felt like she really took all those perspectives and then kind of centered that with all the information that she was reading and, and kind of put that all together. Yeah, definitely. And I thought that was really awesome. And that just goes to show that even though that you have a lot of book knowledge, that having there's a lot of important information to gather from life experiences and uh, the perspectives of others. And there's just so much to learn there. And that definitely helped her out in her journey that she mentioned. Yes, yes, for sure. And then, as you said, like she went from essentially not even essentially she was homeless when she was 21 to being a homeowner at 23. How did she get from point A to point B? And what really struck me is it. And she talked about this, right? All the individual steps along the way, she related the checklists that she had. I can't even remember the technical title for it, but she had a very um a complicated job in the Air Force that obviously required a lot of checklists and how she took that concept and then applied that in a financial space. So breaking things down into to all those steps, um, how, how is that helpful for someone to, to, to look at it step by step? Yeah, I think that is helpful because sometimes people can get not know where to begin. And so having steps and then breaking those steps down into even smaller steps, um, I think um, is what helped her and just making things, making your goals more achievable and a little bit less overwhelming, actually, once you have the list of steps to go along with. Yeah, and it still requires focus. So there's another thing that she talked about is eliminating distractions. And in her case, distractions might have been the types of things that anyone in their early 20s might do, which is going out a lot and, and you know, enjoying life. And she said, okay, I'm going to still enjoy life, but in a different way, potlucks and, and, and things of that nature. How difficult is that for someone to, to execute on a plan like that? Probably very difficult, um, especially when you're having your friends around and they meet want to do other things, but your priorities are in a different place. Um, but it was good that she was able to have um, that support system behind behind her and say, we're going to do potlucks instead of going out um, because these are my goals. Um, and even though I'm sure it wasn't easy for her and wanting to go out and do the things that she wanted to do, um, but having to make those sacrifices um, to reach her goals. Yeah. And, and, you know, of course, part of this was just 
not isolating herself, still trying to be part of her her friend circle, her community. And another really cool aspect of that is that she did such an amazing job just naturally of bringing her friends along with her journey. Um, she talked about all the things she was working on openly. Her friends were like, wait, how how, how are you doing that? And then it, it evolved into her doing coaching for her friends, financial coaching, and, and kind of going from there. Um, how, how do you feel, you know, when, when you saw the, the idea of her just bringing along her friends on her financial journey? I thought that was really inspiring. It just goes to show that she was not only wanting to reach her goals and be successful, but wanting her friends to be successful along with her. And I thought that was really awesome. And she seemed, and they, her friends seemed to be inspired by the goals that she was reaching. And I think that's awesome. Yeah. And, and what was really interesting is eventually her focus uh, uh, when it came to personal finance, at least professionally, pivoted towards how might she support the financial lives of children. And yet the foundation, the, the, the concepts that she really tried to share was really informed by her experiences as an adult. And there was a couple of ones that stuck out to me. She she talked about the importance of asking for help because she went through her own experience earlier uh, where where she didn't do that in her early 20s. Uh, of reframing financial interactions really as collaborations. Um, that was something, you know, that harkens back to her days in the military, gathering the perspectives of other people. Um, she talked about advice for parents as to, you know, would they be willing to share money mistakes that they made as a way to kind of uh, impart lessons, you know, not not to give extra anxiety, but just to to, to kind of be real. Um, with things. What, what was your reaction to, to hearing uh, those uh, tips? I loved those tips because not only were they super helpful in a financial setting, but in an overall life setting, um, asking for help, um, refra reframing any of your interactions as collaborations, um, sharing mistakes, um, learning from others' mistakes. Those are all principles that will get you very far, not only in your financial journey, but in your overall life journey. So I thought it's really important that those were her first kind of grounding lessons that she teaches, especially um, to children. Yes, yes. And one of the the, the final things I'll, I'll just kind of focus on is she talked about how valuable it is to give oneself grace when they're going through their financial journey, right? This is Life doesn't happen in a linear fashion. She herself, even after becoming a homeowner, got back into credit card debt shortly thereafter um, before she turned that around. And she said something that that really resonated with me, which is what works in one season may not work in the next. And it reminds me of something that that just happened in my life yesterday as we record this. And that is I've been going through a, a divorce that was recently finalized and when the divorce started, I had to make the difficult decision to stop contributing to my retirement because my budget just got all jacked up and I just literally did not have uh, the financial flexibility uh, to, to handle it at that point. And yesterday was the first day that I actually resumed making contributions to my retirement. And it got me to think about like, yeah, that wasn't an easy decision when it happened. It definitely felt good to resume it when, when I did yesterday. But it reminds me that like that's what she was talking about with seasons, right? I was 
it made sense for me to contribute to retirement for the longest time until I was in a season when it didn't. And then the calendar has turned and now I'm back in a better financial footing and back in a season where it does make sense. So that was just um, a powerful thing for her to say is just the, the grace that we can give ourselves as we're going through life. Absolutely. It's definitely important to give yourself grace um, because things happen. You never, it's, Life is unpredictable, as we know, and what works in one season may not work in the next one. Um, But being able to pivot um, and eventually you'll be able to bounce back is really important. Absolutely. So, Shamika, I know we got I think we got 10 or more uh, uh, financial themes and and practical tips in there, um, but all very valuable. So I thank you, as always, for joining us today. Thank you. Well, that's a wrap for today's episode. We so appreciate Jasmine spending time with us today. To learn more, please visit thewealthplayground.com. Special thanks to Hero, whose music will play us out. Even if your road to financial wellness takes you through Casper, Wyoming, I hope you enjoy the journey as much as the destination. Welcome back, Hero.